Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge Podcast, where we discuss creatives of color disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Fashaw, and on this episode, we speak with Charm City Kings director, Anjal Manuel Soto. Charm City Kings is currently streaming on HBO Max. Take a listen. So welcome, Anjal, to the Spectrum Lounge. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Sure. Happy release day. Charm City King uh, <laughs> releases on HBO Max today. Are you are you nervous? I mean, I know it premiered at Sundance. It got great reviews. It won um, Best Ensemble. But of course, you know, a public release is, is very different. How are you feeling today? It is overwhelming. It's exciting to finally release this to the world. Uh, I've been looking forward for it to, to be released since April. So... Uh, it's a blessing. It's a blessing in disguise, to be honest. I'm very happy that um, HBO picked it up uh, during mm-hmm. these crazy times. Uh, um, yes. And what I what I like about that is that now, if we were if we once were gonna be able to be on 1,300 theaters, uh, now we have the opportunity mm-hmm. of being in over 50 million homes. So. Right. It's kind of like exciting. You know, it's, it's a vulnerable thing to do, but I guess that's kind of mm-hmm. like when you know it's over now. It's out there to the world to right. do as they please with it. And you can only hope that it resonates with them the same way that it resonated with me when I first started doing it. Mm-hmm. Great. So what was it about this project? Because you, you started out as an indie director and this is your first studio production. What was it about Charm City Kings? Um, that that spoke to you. They were like, I want to, I want to direct this project. Well, what I like about this the, this project in particular was that uh, when I first got the script, uh, it was titled Twelve O'clock Boys, and it was written by Barry Jenkins. So seeing those two things together at the title of the script is very alluring. I was already a fan of um, of the documentary when it came out, and I loved that world uh, that was depicted in it uh and the characters mm-hmm. in it and seeing that you know the name of barry jenkins uh, as a director that i've always wanted to emulate his career and who inspires me a lot in 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 his work uh that's that really caught my attention but what really sold it for me was the character of mouse and the world he lived in um, if I if it didn't say it was Baltimore, it could have easily been in Puerto Rico, and and that's where I found that this is the opportunity to tell the story of not just uh, a kid from Baltimore and not just a a, a black kid, but also uh, brown kids everywhere and marginalized kids in disenfranchised communities all around America, and I started seeing that there were more things that there were more similarities between Baltimore and Puerto Rico that, that, that anybody could think of and seeing Mouse's journey and how he navigated that world, the same temptations, the same wants and needs, the same obstacles. Uh, it was kind of like seeing the story of a Puerto Rican boy. And, and for me, that was when I was like, this is the opportunity to, to, to tell our story as well. And, uh, I'm, you know, kind of like uh, playing on 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 that historical aspect of black and brown people throughout and their intersectionality of our cultures uh, was something that 
for me was very strong. I have family in Bronx and, and, and in Puerto Rico, everything has been kind of like that way, at least where I come from. And being able to see uh, uh, such a diverse cast on screen and having the, the trust from, from Jada and Caleb, who both are from Baltimore, and, and, and trusted me into directing this film. Uh, I felt like this was the perfect opportunity to to not only create a love letter to Baltimore, but also a love letter for all marginalized youth and and disenfranchised communities in America. Right, um, Jahi Winston, who plays the the lead role of Mouse, is just he's so excellent in this role. Um, can you tell us a little bit about about casting? Um, you know, his role and, and the other pivotal roles? And what was it about Jahi's um, audition that made you say, yes, I, I want to cast him in this role? Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, Yahi, what Yahi had going for him, which I think was one of the most uh, impressive things that stood out, was that from the get-go, uh, Yahi is an empath. He he's a he's a kid that his resting face, uh, his eyes, uh, they have this level of humanity and and um, and empathy that really, for me, was what I wanted to stand out of the character of Mouse. Because um, yes, the, the 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 streets and the the tropes of a coming of age story, uh, and and the and the location um, demands certain things on the exterior, but on the interior, being able to get a character, a, a an actor that embodies all of that, and that um, owns it as if it was his own story, is the hardest thing to find. And I think at the end, what really kind of like sold it when it came to like Lamont and and um and. And the character, I mean, that's uh, Danielle and uh, and Kasai who play Lamont and Swartagar, respectfully. Um, seeing them together on the chemistry reads, that was when the magic really hit. That was the moment that we all understood and we saw right there, like, these are them. Like, that chemistry is one of the harder things to pull out, pull off, and being able to see them actually executed flawlessly at seconds of meeting each other, uh, that was really what sold it for us. Right. Um, speaking of chemistry, one of the things that I, I really um, loved about the movie was sort of like the romance between Mouse and uh, the new girl on the block, Nikki, uh, who's played yeah. by uh, Chandler Dupont. They were just, they were just so sweet. Like, I, I feel like, you know, especially when we tell like these black um, coming of age stories or, you know, especially when it's from a, a black male point of view or, you know, a person of color, there's usually a, a lack of sensitivity, you know what I mean? But the two of them, there was just like the sweetness about them. Um, and also the fact that Nikki's character, like she was really smart, you know, mm -hmm. like he's trying to run game on her and she sees him for what, <laughs> for what he's trying to do. Um, can you tell us a little bit, I mean, what was it when you were casting, um, Nikki in that role, were there like any chemistry reads between the two actors and were there any conversations on how you wanted that romance or that relationship to, to be shown on screen? Yeah. I mean, we, we often joked about the poetic justice, 
justice type of look and and something about uh Nikki uh, really gave uh, that that mixture uh, of Chandler Chandler Dupont the name of the actress playing Nikki she her 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 station life and and her innocence uh and her brains really did play into a different way of perceiving the character of Nikki. We we did a, a beautiful cast also, and we found amazing talents, and they all gave <clears throat> Nikki a, a, a specific edge. And they all would have worked um, uh, if if we wanted to go that route. But Chandler was able to embody this this innocence of, of like the, the first love, uh, the, the, or like the, the girl next door type of first love that you remember growing older. And, I, I, Sherman Payne, the writer, and myself, when talking about that, we really wanted to, Sherman's journey, or not journey, Sherman's uh, motive was uh, the humanity of the characters. And I think that playing into their age, uh, I we really wanted to to protect the innocence of, of that age uh, and try to to let them, pretty much be that a lot of the the reactions the faces um i i caught on some on, on some things that i liked and i remember telling them like yeah yeah do that thing you do with your face when you're talking and and she I was like i don't know what you're talking about mm-hmm. and i was like okay well <laughs> you know what that's actually beautiful because it's something that comes really from her and her own experience and that's how she would react in a certain way, and I think that definitely gave this purity to this relationship that, you know, is one of those things that when people say, oh, wouldn't it be nice to go back to simpler times? I think, like, that type of love is the simpler love. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this movie, there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, technical aspects of shooting the bikers. Um, what was what was the process of like getting? Because I know you used real life uh, bikers in the movie. Um, what was the process of getting them, of casting them in the movie, and just shooting in Baltimore because it's such a specific uh, story um, set in Baltimore? What was the reception like um, from the actual uh, residents of, of Baltimore shooting Charm City Kings? Well, uh, we had a lot of support of the community. Uh, we had the support of, of of Willie Wayne, who is like the godfather of of bike like there, and and through him and his whole crew, we were able to spend not only time with them, but really um, see them besides riding bikes and be able to 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 see them for who they really are. And I think the that having them involved in letting them do their thing right like it wasn't we were like oh we wanna we want you to come from here to there and do a wheelie but we want you to do the one that you feel is awesome like this is your time to show the world how how good you are at this and and people can see how talented people you guys are so i don't want to um limit uh anything you guys want to do and i think that letting them be open and be involved in in those elements of the production uh, allowed them to really own the their story and 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 support it along the way 
uh, I think that with that, every time we're on, on a close set, a lot of, you know, a lot of the kids around really spend their time with us and we were able to meet some of them. We, we were able to provide jobs for some of them working as uh, security PAs and things like that. And even one of them, Marvin Rahim, who started his first week, like just hanging around. Then the second week he started uh, working as a PA. And then the third week we had this incident, not incident, but we, we had an actor who was supposed to, to ride uh, a bike. And the day before shooting his scene, uh, he came out and said that he, he cannot ride a bike. And we had to improvise at the moment. So Marvin oh my God. was there and we were like, hey, can you ride? And he's like, yeah, I can ride. He's one of the, you know, he started mm. with the 12 o'clock boys. And we were like, dope, can you act? And he's like, no, I cannot act. And we were like, okay, then you know what? Tomorrow you're going to be an actor. So we hired him right there to act. And, and he played Derek, uh, the guy that steals wow. the bike and gets bit yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And so that character of Derek is played by by a native Baltimorean that was right there. And, and, and he stepped up to the plate. He owned it. And he he was a great team player. And... You know, he was there every single time, making you know, keeping us in check. And and not only him, but we also had Coco, who is in the movie, uh, in the documentary. He she also plays a uh, uh, she plays herself really in the, in that balcony scene, uh, right. with Tiana. And and we have uh, Mouse as well. Uh, I mean Pug, sorry, Pug, who is the the main character in the documentary. He he plays the brother. Of, of Miles. And and those are a few of them. We also have like uh, Chino Braxton, who plays Jamal, and Willie Queen, who plays Queen. They're both writers from Baltimore and they have really important roles in the movie. So, yeah, I guess uh, going through that route definitely helped us, um, you know, get get the, the, the respect and, and, and the welcome of the community. And right. and so far, uh, you know, the the ones that have seen it from Baltimore that were in the movie, they they've been loving it, and you know, I hope they're proud of it. And you know, we did our best uh, into it to be true to who they are externally. But I really do hope that the opportunities and and the potential that the youth have can be seen through the movie and they can embrace it. Right. Um, the one storyline that I really appreciated too is uh, we have Mouse who has this mentor or his mentor is an actual cop, a black cop, uh, Officer Rivers. Um, and I appreciated that they showed the complication of that um, because he is a cop, but he's also a black man. Um, you know, and so especially in Baltimore, we know, you know, with the case of Freddie Gray, Baltimore has been a site of a lot of Black Lives Matter protests. Um, can you tell us a little bit about crafting that um, relationship and just kind of showing the the complications of that, of, of having a Black man who's also a, a cop, you know what I mean? Um, where sometimes we do see that he tries to, we see that Rivers does try to protect the community, but ultimately, like the scene he has with Blacks, he is ultimately somebody who is blue. Um, so, yeah, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Um, well, I mean, Sherman, Sherman wrote that character in a way that definitely explores the complications and and the almost the paradox that lives within 
uh, black cuffs um, or cuffs of color for that matter, um, given the, the, the current state of events as well. But, um, and also the, the historical complexities of, 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 of the police. But for me, it was more of showing if something was more of showing what as a society, I would expect a police to be, as opposed to saying this is how they are. I know that Detective Rivers is probably the good apple on a rotten sack of apples, but <laughs> he his pursuit of something better or whatever policing looks like, like the one that takes care of of the community and and which you know that I think that's that's what we're all hoping for is the whole restructuration and changing of what policing looks like. Uh, for me, he's more of a, this is what I want to see on the police as opposed to this is what the police is. And with that, the same way like the ending and a lot of other elements in the movie, uh, having it not be a documentary and having those poetic licenses to show some hope sometimes hope is not there explicitly uh and it may become in form of fantasy but maybe that fantasy could be fostered and put into action and actually make a difference in com in the communities if taken to practice that's that's why the whole idea whether uh not realistic as it may be or realistic as it could be the fact that somebody who's not your father is willing to give his life for you uh, it is a hope that we all that at least i would like to achieve in a community where everybody treats each other as as a family member and and if there's somebody without a father there's there's mentors here who are willing to to take that kid into their wings because more times than none than not, it is that example that we are not seeing what's needed uh, to make a difference. That's why the, the, the topic of mentorships is very important. And that's why the topic of policing, when you see policing happening the way we already know, it's uh, you have that chasing, like you have that anger, you have like a bunch, you know, you have this other stuff that is, it criminalizes and keeps communities marginalized. But when you have this idea of what mentorship looks like, when it comes to everybody involved in society, I feel that there is an obligation to reevaluate how stuff have been doing, and maybe it's time for cops to imitate um, uh, Detective Rivers more than they would imitate, uh, I don't know, those gun-happy shooting police beat people over the head type of characters. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Well, thank you so much. For Congratulations. Yeah, I appreciate the talk. Thank and you. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Spectrum Lounge. See you on the other side. See ya.